Hi, Mom. It's me, Miranda. I just wanted to let you know that they transferred over to um, a Muncie, count, a Muncie uh, State Prison. I need you to call Dad and let him know, and Francis let him know. Thank you. I love you. Bye. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of It's Crime Time. I used to research notorious cases that occurred in my home state of Pennsylvania. And recently, I came back around to researching crimes in my state out of curiosity. I know I've heard of this case, I'm sure, but for some reason, I didn't recall the events of it. And that's the case of Miranda and Elliot Barber, who lured a man by use of a Craigslist ad and murdered him. All right, everyone, it's crime time. Before I continue this episode, I would like to place a disclaimer here as this episode involves some talk about child abuse and child sexual abuse. If you feel that you cannot continue, please feel free to skip the beginning of this episode or click on to another episode. Miranda Camille Dean Barber was born to Sonny Dean and Elizabeth Fletcher on December 14, 1994 in North Pole, Alaska. As a baby and young toddler, it has been said that Miranda was a normal, happy baby until she turned around three years old. And her uncle Rick Fernandez and Aunt Melissa, who was her mother's sister, moved five houses down from the Deans. Rick and Melissa's children, who would have been Miranda's cousins, were around the same age as Miranda and her sister Ashley, who was six years old. So the girls often went to Rick and Melissa's home to play and have sleepovers with their cousins. Miranda's parents were unaware of this at the time, but their daughters were being horribly abused by their uncle Rick when they were staying over. During the time of her abuse, Miranda would complain multiple times about pain in her anus, and she would say her pee-pee was hurting. And of course, that's the term that she used for her private area since she was only a toddler. So she went to her parents and was telling them, you know, that her pee-pee and her butt was sore and... Of course, they were not going to take this lightly. They were going to investigate it. So they looked into this and kind of got the ball rolling on everything. And then it had later become known that she had been sodomized in every way imaginable. And that was stated by the prosecutor of this case. She was subjected to anal and vaginal penetration as well as fellatio. Now keep this in mind. Obviously, she was a very young toddler. It had been one of the most physically extreme cases of abuse that the child judge had ever seen, and it happened to a girl whom the judge referred to as hardly more than a baby. This devastated Miranda's family as they had previously dealt with similar abuse and violation of trust in previous generations of that family. So Miranda's mother actually was sexually abused as a child as well. So she had been very protective of her daughters. She didn't just let them go to anybody's house and stay over. But in this instance, I mean, this was Miranda's mother's sister and the aunt and uncle of the children. And so she thought they would be safe, that they were family and they would take care of them and things would be fine. So she allowed her children to stay overnight at their cousin's house. 
because that was her sister and she didn't think that her sister would allow any harm to come to the children. I didn't find anything about this, but I am going to assume that Melissa, her um, Miranda's mom's sister, was not aware of any of this at the time either because this is not something that she would have ever done to a child or allowed to happen to a child in her care. And because she knows of the past of her sister. So I just don't think that anyone else was aware of this, but I could be wrong. When investigators looked at Rick's belongings, a book titled Fun With My Sister's Kids, which is essentially an abuse manual, was found. It is an abuse manual that encouraged uncles, grandfathers, and fathers to engage in unclassified felony acts with their nieces, daughters, and granddaughters. This book described the abuse with which Rick was being charged with. This was a book that was actually compiled and written by Rick himself. And I assume it was information he gathered off the internet and from, of course, his own head and from other sources. Maybe he discussed this with other pedophiles online. You know, they share tips and tricks, things of that nature. That's disgusting. But he was compiling a book to kind of distribute to other pedophiles or other people that were interested in sexually abusing children, particularly children in their families. So they did find that when they were looking through his belongings. Rick pled no contest, so he didn't have to stand trial or admit that he had done anything wrong in this case, which doesn't surprise me. These people know what they're doing is wrong. They know that it's frowned upon. They know that it's disgusting but they act like they don't care and they're not ashamed of it until it comes time for them to get caught and be placed in front of other people and other people that have strong opinions about them. So, of course, he didn't want to have a trial. He didn't want to be put in front of people. You know, he didn't want to be embarrassed. So, in another description offered by the prosecutor about Rick's book, he said that it offers a stark reflection of an incestuous pedophile state of mind. And it repeatedly portrays girls from 12 years old to infancy as enjoying and even craving full-blown sexual relations with their uncles, fathers, and grandfathers. Absolutely disgusting. Their children, they don't crave sexual relations with their family members and I'm not sure where this disgusting man got all this information, but he has some some shit going on up in his head that, yeah, it's very skewed. He has a very skewed view of children, but don't they all? Don't all of these creeps. Anyway, most of Miranda's family members pleaded for the toughest possible sentence for Rick. Even though they had forgiven him, they wanted him to pay for what he had done. An elder family member urged for a medium sentence as long as Rick successfully completed some sex offender treatment. And without it, Rick would never change his ways and he would be left to sit in jail and become institutionalized. And that's what this family member thought. So the judge sentenced Rick to 19 years in prison. Rick had his own history of family hardships, sexual abuse, divorce, single parenting, and things of that nature. And he finally seemed to have gotten his life on track. He was a good provider for his wife and kids, but then of course he did this. 
So the judge gave him five years suspended off of a 19-year prison sentence to give the justice system some leverage over him still once he was released. But this didn't work. Rick didn't care. He he essentially repeatedly, he went back to jail. He completely ignored, you know, all this prison time and everything he'd done. He just ignored it and, and kept going back to jail for violating his parole. When he was first let out in 2007, Miranda was preparing to head into her teens, which saw some serious life hardships for her as well. Rick served nine years and four months of his sentence before being released, which he violated parole two months later, and he ended up back in jail for 16 months. His last experience as a free member of society lasted just one year after that. According to court records, he wasn't adequately participating in any type of sex offender treatment program. He'd visited a porn store. He viewed porn on the internet. He failed to find any type of full-time employment. He used computers at his church and in his room at the halfway house to seek out these prohibited materials. By May of 2011, he was back in jail with more time to serve and he faced a new case altogether for possession of child pornography. Hundreds of images of child pornography had been found on his computer after probation and parole officers seized and turned his computers over to Alaskan state troopers. Rick Fernandez is now serving out a 40-year prison term in the pornography case, 20 years to serve with 20 years suspended. He is scheduled for release in 2035, and he will remain a registered sex offender for the rest of his life. Something I found interesting is that Alaska apparently is a state that is known for rampant child sexual abuse. If you look into the statistics, they have a far higher percentage rate of child sexual abuse cases, which I'm not, I'm not really sure why that is, but this state in particular is known for that. So Miranda's family moved away after Rick had been sent to jail for her abuse. And they wanted to make an attempt at a fresh start for Miranda and Ashley. Ashley is Miranda's sister, but this case involves Miranda and the crimes committed in this case involve Miranda and were committed by Miranda and her husband. So I didn't really look into Ashley. I didn't look into the abuse she endured or anything of that nature because she needs her privacy. She needs to be able to move on with her life after all of the things that have happened. So... Of course, I only looked into Miranda and there's only information out there about Miranda. I didn't feel that I needed to include anything about her sister, but I will say that after the abuse occurred on the girls, the family decided to move several hundred miles from North Pole, Alaska to the Wasilla and Palmer area of Alaska in Matanuska, Susitna Borough. And life at this time had quieted down for the most part. But the trauma that Miranda suffered kind of remained beneath the surface and it started manifesting itself when she turned 12 years old. She started running away from home at this time and she began hanging out with a Satanist who was 25 years old and she called him Forrest. I was unable to locate anything else about this Forrest, if that was his real name, things of that nature. But that is what we know about him is that he was 25 She was 12 and his name was Forrest. At this time, she also began using heroin and claimed that Forrest was now her ruler. Her mom, Elizabeth Dean, was told about Miranda going out prostituting at the age of 12 and being into this satanic stuff with Forrest. 
and being in this satanic cult with Forrest and some other members. She also said that Forrest branded her with a swastika on the back of the neck and he put his name on her thighs. And Miranda had told her mother all of this and showed her mother all of this by herself. And one can assume that it was for attention. Miranda was looking for attention. She was looking for somebody to pay attention to her and she was doing all of these bad things. And, you know, a lot of teenagers that are doing bad things don't want their parents to find out, but Miranda would go to her parents and just openly brag about the things that she was doing. So, I mean, like I said, one can infer that she was kind of looking for some sort of attention. Sonny and Elizabeth ran a strict household, and once they found out about the drug use, they tried to lock down their house more. They tried to keep Miranda from running away. But by the age of 14, Miranda was a repeated runaway, and she had already spent time in several treatment facilities for her addiction and her mental health. In the midst of Miranda's runaways and drug abuse, her parents Elizabeth and Sonny Dean separated. Sonny moved to Florida, and Elizabeth stayed behind in Alaska with their daughters, Miranda and Ashley. And I did not find out anything about their separation in terms of if, you know, their their daughter, their daughter's struggles had anything to do with it. But obviously, that definitely would put a strain on your relationship as parents and your, you know, your romantic relationship, your marriage, having a daughter that's running away all the time and on drugs and Maybe they disagreed on how to handle it. I'm not sure, but they did separate. Now, around this time, Miranda said she became pregnant while in the satanic cult, but cult members didn't want her to have the baby. So Miranda claims that they tied her to a bed, they gave her drugs, and she had an in-house abortion. And of course, Miranda's mother found out about this. I would gather that Miranda told her mother about this, but so her mother took her to the doctor, obviously, because... I mean, if you hear that your daughter had a, a, an in-house abortion by some satanic cult, you know, you're going to take her to the doctor and see if she's telling the truth. So Miranda's mother took her to the doctor and the doctor said there were no signs of a pregnancy and no signs of an ended pregnancy either. This apparently occurred in 2010. Miranda had a friend from a treatment facility that she stayed at whose identity remains anonymous but they go by Alex, and Alex stated that she never knew of Miranda being involved with a man named Forrest, but that Miranda did get, or did say she was getting back with her ex in 2010, but she never divulged his name. But we can assume that it was Forrest that she was speaking about. Miranda later told Alex that her family had given up on her and there wasn't really anything that helps her at this point. She said she was pretending to be happy. Miranda became pregnant again in 2011 when she was 17 years old, and this time it was a real pregnancy. Miranda stated that Forrest was the baby's father, and Forrest was now the number two leader of the satanic cult, she says, but that he had been murdered after getting her pregnant, so she apparently didn't have a, a father for her child, but Miranda's mother denies this. She denies that Forrest was ever murdered. Um, she said that I guess later that this Forrest guy supposedly reached out to her and was trying to get custody of Miranda's baby. I'm not sure of that, but they weren't even sure if the Forrest guy was even the father of the, of the child. In March of 2012, an Alaskan court ordered Miranda to be placed in the custody of her uncle Arlen Fletcher. 
That's her mom's brother in North Carolina. She left Alaska as a high-ranking official in the satanic world. That's what she claims. She tried to turn her life around. She gave birth to a baby girl. She enrolled in college courses and she got a job at a grocery store. She was a doting mother of her daughter, Aria, often posting pictures of her on Facebook. And things seemed to be going well at this time. She had a job, she was taking classes, taking care of her baby, was a good mom. And then she met a new 22-year-old man named Elliot Barber, who she drew into Satanism. She claimed that Forrest wouldn't let her put Elliot through, like on this, I guess, on this panel and through the cult trials, whatever he had to go through to get into the cult. Um, Forrest wouldn't allow him basically to join this cult. And I'm, I'm assuming it was because he was jealous. I don't know. But she did get him deeper into Satanism regardless. So Miranda actually met Elliot through his pregnant girlfriend, Amy Vanell, which is odd. Amy described Miranda as being obsessed with sex and deeply disdainful of obese people. Very weird, very weird um, description of her. Very weird thing to say, but apparently this was something she was extremely passionate about. She just really hated overweight people with a fiery passion. Totally something she talked about all the time. Like I said, very weird um, to bring that up, but it, it definitely must have been something that she just talked about all the time because... Um, for Amy to bring that up. While Elliot was exploring Satanism, he wasn't really as deep into it as Miranda, which I had mentioned. Amy stated that Satanism isn't about being scary. It's about believing in yourself and not oppressing the instincts that you were born with. So she was into Satanism as well. By March of 2013, Elliot and Amy had broken up. Amy stated there were rumors that he was cheating on her with Miranda, but as far as she knows, Miranda and Elliot didn't get together until June of 2013. So Amy, I guess, does believe that he was not cheating on her with Miranda. They just didn't work out. And she, of course, had her baby and everything. And then Elliot got with Miranda. So on October 22nd of 2013, Elliot and Miranda were married. So they were only together since June and got married in October Three days after their wedding, both of them quit their jobs. Elliot was a dishwasher at a restaurant and she was a checkout clerk at this grocery store still. And they decided to move to Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Very weird, interesting place to move, Pennsylvania. Um, I know where that is. It's kind of near an area where my husband was born. He wasn't born in Sunbury, but up in his old stomping grounds, it's it's near that area. I don't, I've never been there, but I do know where it is. So just for her to move to North Carolina or from North Carolina to this place, very weird. Miranda's uncle Arlen states that she didn't quit her job. She actually was fired from her job for stealing from her employer. So Elias stated that the couple made ends meet through Miranda hiring herself out as the companion to men she met on Craigslist. She earned $50 to $850 per encounter. He insisted she wasn't a prostitute. Sex wasn't involved in this, but she met with these men and she engaged in conversation. She spent time with them because they were lonely. Um, so I'm not sure how true that it was obviously. I, now I know this is a thing where men pay women 
to hang out with them because they're lonely, go out to eat with them, kind of act like a girlfriend to them, but not really engage in any sexual activity. I don't know. But that's what Elliot claimed she was doing. Three weeks after their wedding on November 11th, the pair decided they were going to kill somebody from Craigslist. They had been actively looking for somebody to kill as a team because they said the murder would bring them closer together. If they could just kill someone together, it would bring them closer. They had made a few attempts before, but it hadn't worked out. So on November 1st, 42-year-old Troy LaFerrera answered Miranda's Craigslist ad, offering companionship for money. She arranged to pick him up on November 11th at a mall. So he reached out. He said, hey, you know, I want to meet up with you. Spend time with me and I'll pay you, blah, blah, blah. They arranged to meet at the mall on the 11th of November. And it happened. When Miranda went to pick Troy up at the mall, Elliot had been hiding in the back of her red Honda CRV under a blanket until the moment his wife would give him the signal. The signal was that Miranda would say, did you see the stars tonight? Which indicated that Elliot should then kind of jump out from under this blanket and pounce on Troy. According to Miranda, when Troy got into the car, she told him she had just turned 16, but he said he didn't care. When he said this, she then knew he had to die. But the thing is, this doesn't make sense to me. I know it's a little weird. Yes, it's weird for a 42-year-old man to be hanging out with a 16-year-old girl, but they claim that she wasn't out doing this for sex. It was just companionship. So she's claiming that she knew he had to die because he was a pedophile. Now she wasn't 16, obviously, but she lied and said she was. But if this wasn't for sex, then how could she be so sure he was a pedophile if they weren't meeting up for sex? Very weird again. Um, and then she does claim he started coming on to her. Apparently started touching her. I don't really believe that. But that's what she claims. She said that she had to give this signal to Elliot twice. But Elliot actually didn't act until she hit him on the leg. So she said, did you see the stars tonight? To Troy. And she had to repeat herself twice. Because Elliot wasn't listening. Then she reached back and kind of hit him on the leg under this blanket. And he got up. And when he got up, he began strangling Troy with a cord. But they say things got out of control, way out of control, apparently. So Miranda took out a knife and she proceeded to stab Troy 20 times. Once they thought he was dead, they swiped his wallet and they dumped his body in an alleyway. They cleaned out their car with these supplies they purchased at Walmart and they went to a strip club to then celebrate Elliot's birthday party. Like, or have, sorry, celebrate his birthday. So have a little birthday party for him at the strip club. So they killed someone, they dumped his body, and then they just went celebrating in a strip club. They kind of resumed their lives as if nothing had happened. They were posting statuses on Facebook that were said to be cheery statuses, everyday statuses. She bragged about her new ring from Zales. She was excited about the snow. She joked about cooking Thanksgiving dinner for her roommates. Just everything seemed normal. But Sunbury police followed a trail of evidence that was very sloppy, left by Miranda and Elliot. They included text on Troy's phone and these texts led them right to Miranda. She was arrested on December 3rd and her father was given custody of her daughter, Aria. Her father, Sonny, was then engaged in a custody battle for Aria with Miranda's uncle, Arlen, and his wife. Authorities continued to investigate the whereabouts of Aria's real father, but he was not located. 
According to Miranda, shortly after joining the satanic cult, she was involved in her first murder at the age of 13. So she claims that the murder of Troy wasn't her first. She had gone with her cult leader to meet a man that owed him money. Quote, it was in an alley and the cult leader shot him. Then he said to me that it was my turn to shoot him. I hate guns. I don't use guns. So I couldn't do it. So he came behind me and he took his hands and he put them on top of mine and we pulled the trigger. And then from there, I just continued to kill, end quote. Miranda's father thinks the shooting in Alaska could be possible since it would have occurred during one of the extended periods which she ran away from home. But he says that the other murders she claims to have committed in other states are a complete invention. They're a complete invention by her for attention. Um, he said, quote, I can promise you that she has only been to California once and Texas a few times and both times she wasn't out of my sight, end quote. So Miranda claims she can pinpoint on a map where you can find other bodies of murders she's committed. She claims that most murders occurred in Alaska in Palmer, Anchorage, Nome, and Wasilla. She said she would lure people who did bad things and that didn't deserve to be here anymore and she would kill them. Troy LaFerrera had actually been remodeling a home he owned in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. So he hadn't lived there full time. But allegedly he went there and several of these ladies that worked at a strip club, they've been in and out of the police station recently being questioned for about a week due to Troy's sketchy dealings. So I'm not exactly sure what was going on with that. I was unable to find it, but one can assume that maybe Troy had been sexually assaulting some of these strippers that worked at a strip club in Sunbury, I'm unsure. But the thing that I don't understand is Miranda, Miranda claims that she murdered people who did bad things, but she also claims that she didn't decide to, I mean, she did technically decide to murder someone beforehand, but she knew that he had to die when he got in her car and had said he didn't care that she was 16. So I'm just confused about that because either she knew about those dealings like with the strippers and the strip club and maybe some sexual assaults and thought he was a bad person or she made her decision in the car about, okay, he really does need to die. So it's a little weird to me, a little fishy. But now if he was sexually assaulting the women that worked at the strip club, maybe she was telling the truth. Maybe he did try to come on to her. Maybe, you know, he didn't care that she was 16. But regardless, she wasn't 16 for one thing she did say she she was to him but regardless their decision had already been made their mind had already been made up they were trying to kill someone for a long time so i don't think the reasoning behind why she killed him matters you know um in terms of if he really did touch her if he did do something to the strippers i just their mind was already made up and i think they were just going to kill whoever uh, anyone that met up with them on craigslist that you know, they had planned for. So I don't believe her whole story of, um, I'm luring people who did bad things and, and didn't deserve to be here. I don't believe that. Um, local authorities and the FBI did take her confession seriously though. And they did investigate her claims, but Alaska state troopers issued a statement saying there's no evidence that she committed any other murders in their state. And authorities where Miranda had lived in North Carolina said their only unsolved homicide case dates back to when Miranda was an infant and obviously it wouldn't have been possible for her to commit that crime. 
Experts claim she doesn't really fit the profile of a serial killer who are rarely women. Now, there are women, of course. Gender doesn't matter. There are women that kill. Um, but they're typically older women, and they don't use knives. She has stated that she's killed less than 100 people, but when asked to give a number, she said she remembers about 22 of them. Miranda claims she wanted to get this off of her chest because her whole life was a lie, and she began talking about other murders at the time. An ex-boyfriend of hers gave her mom a journal, which he claims was Miranda's, and Elizabeth says there are things in that journal that just cannot be true. She says, I don't believe she has done any of what she's saying, and I don't know why she's saying all of these things, end quote. Miranda said that she knows people won't believe her, but she doesn't care. She's saying all of this for her, and she wants to remain in prison. Miranda doesn't want to get out of prison. She feels that if she gets out, she will just kill again. I do not believe any of this. I just don't. I think she killed the one one guy. I think she killed Troy with Elliot, and that's it. I don't think she ever killed anyone else. And I'm not trying to sympathize with her um, being um, a murderer, but people do fail to look at the background of people that kill. Um, she did have a messed up childhood, and at a very important age in her life when she was, you know, a toddler and, and developing. She was severely, severely abused. And then it just seemed like her, the rest of her entire life was filled with behavior that was attention seeking. She wanted the attention. She wanted attention of adults. She would hang out with older men. Supposedly she would get into prostitution. She got into heroin and that is not a lie. She absolutely was on heroin. She was in some treatment facilities. So she did have just in general, a, an entirely screwed up life in general. I mean, like I said, just her whole life was, you know, filled with, with hardships. And I'm not saying that what she did is okay. I'm just saying that there is a reason for what she did. There is a reason why she would think that murdering someone would be fun and that it would bring her closer to Elliot, there, there is, you know, there's a reason why she thought that was okay to do, obviously. And everyone knows what I believe, that if you kill somebody just for the fun of it, there is something going on with your mental health. Because obviously people who are, well, that claim to be 100% happy and normal and have no mental health problems, they obviously don't kill people for fun. So... Obviously, there was some things going on there. But she does say that she killed like 22 people and she doesn't want to get out of prison because she'll do it again. But she definitely changed her mind on that. She and her husband were sentenced to life in prison without parole in 2015. Elliot stated in court during his apology for the crime that he called senseless. Quote, it is not the person who I am. It's not the person I want to be. End quote. Miranda did not address the judge, and the couple both pled guilty to second-degree murder to avoid the death penalty. Until 2018, she asked the judge to reconsider the life sentence she received in 2015, but she was denied. She said her sentence was unconstitutional because she can be rehabilitated. So that's what I mean when I said she didn't mean that she wanted to be in prison forever because she got tired of it eventually and wanted to get out. 
and she tried to say her sentence was unconstitutional. She attached a social history, which was documented by psychologist Louise Luck, detailing her sexual abuse by her uncle. Miranda discussed her drug abuse, depression, bipolar disorder, and she claims to have an IQ of 78. She also blames her mother, Elizabeth, saying she too has a mental deficiency, which her mother was sexually abused. Her mother didn't have a good childhood either, but I just don't agree that, you know, that's the fault of her mom. Her parents tried everything they could to get her out. They sent her to treatment facilities for addiction. They sent her to mental health facilities. They tried to get her out. They tried to keep her from running away and none of it worked. Judge Saylor said that Miranda's request had no merit and it was denied. Elliot Barber remains in prison at the State Correctional Institution in Forest, Pennsylvania. He's now 31 years old and Miranda is 28 years old and she remains in the State Correctional Institution in Muncie, Pennsylvania, which is crazy because my husband and I have driven past there tons of times and there is a documentary, um, I believe it's on Netflix, about the lady who strapped a bomb to the guy and sent him to a bank. It was like America's greatest heist or something. She's also in Muncie prison. Uh, it's a prison for women, obviously. So I just remember us driving past that prison and being like, wow, you know, that woman's there. Well, now um, Miranda's also there, I found out. So really interesting, weird, but kind of neat, I guess. Holly Love Ferreira, the victim's sister, stated, quote, even if they each serve 50 years, they still will not feel any guilt or sympathy. They completely lack empathy. They have no conscience, no remorse, and no moral compass. They lack the most basic element of humanity. These two are fundamentally flawed people who are rotten to the core, end quote. I think that she summed it up the best that anyone has ever summed it up about these two people and I guess about anyone who kills for fun, kills for, like I always say, shits and giggles, just kills for, you know, the fun of it for no absolute reason, not self-defense, um, just, just for fun. She definitely summed it up. They just, they like the most basic element of humanity. So these two were very young people and they chose to do this and now they're, the rest of their lives are gone. They're in prison for life. But I do plan on looking into more cases in Pennsylvania. I did that a while back and I enjoyed it. I found it interesting. It's always, it's always fun to research wild things that have happened in your state. I do like researching um, cases from all over the world as well. That's something I've gotten into too. All right, everyone, that concludes this episode of It's Crime Time. If you enjoyed, please consider subscribing on whatever platform you get your podcasts and leaving a rating and review and preferably Spotify. I mention that every time, but um, thanks for listening and until next time.